Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. We are on episode 47, and I am H.A. Conrad, here as always with my wonderful co-host, Ali Matu. Hello, Ali. How's it going, Conrad? Good. How are you doing this fine evening? Oh, I'm cold. I am very cold. It's pretty freaking cold out. Oh, man. We hope you are in a warm place and listening to this episode. If you are not, dear nerdlings, hopefully this episode will keep your neurons firing and help you generate some heat and warmth. Um, Conrad, what are we talking about on this lovely cold day? Well, today we are talking about the biopic, uh, The Theory of Everything, which is the story of Stephen Hawking and his wife, Jane. And uh, it's I just was able to catch it this weekend. It just it just released in theaters. I think is it a small release, Ali, or is it? I think it's I think it's been released for a bit. Um, we're just so spoiled living here in New York. I know that uh, we get to see everything. I know it yeah. was in film festivals, <laughs> but I think that the wider release happened. Yeah. Um, recently, so yeah, absolutely. So we're talking about theory of everything. We're gonna um, put theory of everything against a beautiful mind in the crossover chamber this was a recommendation from friend of the show randy a few weeks back so randy we're making it happen for you uh see this is what happens you send us messages and sometimes we do those things um and so our top five is going to be top five biopics now conrad biopic biopic what what's your you said biopic. I say biopic, myopic. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this is a. Uh, this I, is I a, would say I would call this a biographical drama. That would probably be more my my well, yeah. my way of of calling it out. This but. is a big debate that um, I have had with my good buddy Lowen. Um, he calls them biopics, but I, I think it's pretty clear that it's biopic. We're we're not ophthalmologist or over here they're not uh do you, do you mean mean you're talking about the the, the etymology man we we're gonna get into a big uh uh grammar uh nerd out here but we'll save that for another episode oh uh, wait Let- wait wait we we've got there's two translations of this by the way all right. What's, it's what's... British English and U.S. English. That's true, and we are talking about a British fellow today. No, um, no, you're wrong. Both of them are are the way I said it. Lowen and I are correct. I do. I disagree. I disagree you with your wrong. facts. You were absolutely incorrect here, Mister Matu. I will create my own facts, and I will believe them. <laughs> You cannot call yourself a scientist then, my friend. I know. I'm kind of mocking people who do that. Um, So let's... (laughs) So a theory of everything. Um, Getting back to the science here. um, Constantine. Okay, keep going. Um, So we're we're talking about a theory of everything. Now, this is a film um, recently came out, um, and it is by director James Marsh. Have you seen any of his previous stuff? Um, I don't know that I have. Um, 
Man on Wire is the one film I've seen of his, which is a really cool film. Um, if you haven't seen it, Conrad, I'd totally recommend it. It's a documentary about um, an individual who um, who climbed uh, the Twin Towers. Oh, I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. Did you like that one? I loved it. I thought it was amazing. So here comes the guy who's done some documentary stuff and is now doing this uh, documentary drama biographical feature film is what I'm going to be calling this. Uh, and I thought it was interesting. Um, there was a lot I liked and a lot I have that, uh, a lot of comments I have that I did not like as much about this. Um, but this is a story of Stephen Hawking. And how much did you know about, uh, what was your exposure to Stephen Hawking uh, before this um, film. Well, I mean, you know quite a bit about him. He's a very famous figure, and you don't live in my household without knowing a little bit <laughs> about uh, Stephen Hawking. Have you ever read um, any of his books? A Brief History of Time, and then I think I saw the accompanying uh, docu uh, documentary that we talked about in our Cosmos episode on mm -hmm. uh, five top five documentaries. Uh, documentaries. Um, so that was back in, I got to say, the early 90s probably that I read that and watched that. Yeah. And I, I mean, he does, he's written there. He, you know, he pops up in different places all the time. Um, I don't sometimes know. Star Trek The Next Generation. Sometimes Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> and I don't know. Did you see his interview with, with uh, John Oliver? <laughs> No, no. Is this a recent interview? I believe so, and it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty well done. Um, you should check it out. Well, John um, Oliver is awesome, so I, I only expect good things. Yeah, uh, we should put that link in the the show notes because it's pretty it's pretty good. Uh, and Hawking is just making fun of him the entire time, so it's it's they're just <laughs> they're just having fun with each other. So <laughs> if you're a fan of Stephen Hawking and John Oliver or both of them, just check it out. So you knew you had exposure to him as as did I and uh, some of his science and some of his work. Did you know much about his personal life? Because this film is it's it's based on his um, his former wife's uh, uh, one of her memoirs, one of her biographies about their time together. I should say autobiography, I guess. Um, did you know much about their personal life? Um, I did uh, only, and I and I am, you know, it's kind of sad to say that the reason I knew anything about it was I don't know if you recall, but a, f a few years ago, like early two thousands, there some of his children were basically concerned because they thought that he was being physically abused by his second wife. Mm. Um, and there was there were a lot of articles uh, that came out and pointed to what his first wife had written and things like that. So I knew a little bit about that and sort of what the drama was behind it. Um, and it was actually, you know, it was interesting how they handled that here. And I think you have to be concerned about libel, especially in the UK. Um, yeah. So yeah. I don't think they really touched that, although they touched it as much as I think that they could in this. Um, but um, yeah, so I actually knew a little bit about the background of that. Um mainly because it was this thing that you don't i mean he's such a, a he is such a figure like he is a celebrity and you don't think about the fact that this man you know who is so famous is surrounded by so many people that this kind of you know and by the way they never 
proved anything, but a lot of, I mean, there was this point where it's like he was showing up places and would have like, he had a broken femur and like scrapes on his face and things like that. And a lot of the caregivers were saying that stuff like that was going on, but Mm. were afraid to like really report it. And you don't really, you don't really think about that happening to somebody who is a celebrity like him Um, and nothing happening because I guess he just did not want, I mean, want to press charges um, and they did get divorced um, and that actually he has a, it sounds like he has a better relationship with his first wife at this point Um, to the point where they actually rewrote, they re-released her memoirs of this, like, and he assisted her in updating some of it. So the uh, the recent release, which was Traveling to Infinity, My Life with Stephen, um, mm-hmm. which was 2008, um, and her previous memoir, which was just coming out of the divorce and is a much harsher, um, uh, much more raw story of their time together, Music uh, to Move the Stars, A Life with Stephen. Uh, so I didn't really know about any of this, <laughs> uh, not at all. Um, Stephen Hawking has always been a science celebrity, and I did very much. Um, he was much more kind of in the zeitgeist for me in the early 90s, around when A Brief History of Time was uh, was much more um, uh, closer to its release. Um, but I sort of fell off the radar for me after that. Um, yeah, I mean, he was out there... Um... And I guess I would see a lot more of him, you know, you, you would see, I would, there was a lot going on, especially with, um, the, with the tools that he uses to communicate that I was fascinated by. Um, and there was a lot going on with, um, you know, like assisting people like in his situation, um, so I would see like updates about that. Um, and I also saw an update where he had um, the option of basically having a more a different type of voice to speak for him. That was a little bit more natural because what he speaks with um, is was basically almost like I think it was like the only voice available at the time. And they talk about that a little bit in the in the film. Um, but he basically said he was so used to this that he did not want to let this go. Yeah. So he's one of the only people that continues to use this, I guess. <laughs> um, so just like interesting things like that, I would see pop up. Um, and, you know, I, like they have him comment on different things, especially depending on what's going on right now, like in terms of uh, um, different, you know, you always see him commenting. Like, I think he commented on the... Uh, he commented on artificial intelligence right. recently, and right. that that was a bit controversial. Um, a lot of AI experts were saying um, Stephen Hawking does not have any expertise in AI, and Stephen Hawking was talking about the the dangers of artificial artificial intelligence and its ability to potentially evolve faster than humans are capable of. And a lot of AI experts said he's wrong; he has no background. Some AI experts said. Um, he's right, but for the wrong reasons. <laughs> so there wasn't there wasn't too much um, positively co- positivity coming from uh, the AI community about that. Um, but yeah, he kind of sticks around in um, well anything that has to do with theoretical physics and things like that. Yeah. And I'm interested in that. So you'll they always want to get his comment, which is interesting because. I, I mean, I, I don't mean to be in terms of like cutting edge work. Um, I think what 
we saw him doing in the 90s is more what you remember him for in terms of his of his work and I, I i mean i'm sure that there's a lot more out there i just think that from for the general public myself included like you don't really see all that much new stuff lately from him no but he is i think the celebrity status of him is um is different than other individuals we talked about on this show um if we talk about neil degrasse tyson or um uh, uh i'm Carl um, that that guy Carl Sagan you mean Carl Sagan thank you Conrad it has been a long day <laughs> it's all good my I friend I will say that Carl Sagan uh, we talk about uh, Tyson and Sagan a lot um, on this show and they were two individuals who uh, were scientific pioneers and have done science and have published and all of that but they're really well known for their ability to communicate science mm-hmm. and I think Stephen Hawking is more known as uh, um, as one of the geniuses, the great uh, geniuses that we we have living right now, and um, I think it's harder to be on the living be on the level of Hawking or Einstein now, since there is so much science happening mm-hmm. and so so much of the big stuff has been discovered. There's a lot more to discover, but I, I think it's harder to be someone like Hawking or, or Einstein now. Um, so he is one of the last great sort of living geniuses that we have of, of this level. I think he's I, th- I think he is a genius, clearly. And I mean, I think given the things that he has had to overcome, um, that is a feat in and of itself. Um, but I also think that, um, you know, uh, just in terms of the different types of things we have now, um, it actually makes me really, you know, it's, it's interesting to think about just, just from a communication standpoint and just from, a like, if these things had been available to him at that point, I wonder if he would have, if any, anything would have been different. Do you know what I mean? Sure, um, sure. So I don't. I think it's. You mean it's harder to stand out in your research because there's a lot yeah. of noise out there. Is that? Well, I think there's a lot more research happening now. Um, I, I think a lot of these big discoveries, um, um, a lot of big discoveries have been made, and I think it's harder as a scientist to make your name now. I, there's also less funding now than there used to be, or, or funding is harder to come by. So I think there's a lot of factors that work um, um, against scientists to to gain the type of celebrity status that um, that Stephen Hawking has. Um, and and you're right, his his uh, personal story and his story about um, the different types of things that he has um, overcome in his life. I think that also um, adds to the uh, the celebrity status. And uh, it's, it's interesting because we were talking about these these elements of his life related to science and um, getting into the theory of everything. There isn't really much of that in this film. So, right. So why we before we, we get into it, there's going to be spoilers. Let's just throw it out there. <laughs> yeah, there's spoilers. And I was going to say we're spoiling it, but there's not much to spoil. Right. There isn't that much to spoil, actually. <laughs> um, and that I actually this was while I was watching it, I was just sort of like, well, he, you know, this is like his his work have been like it was very simplified in this film and they don't really talk an awful lot about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I agree. So 
I was a little bit troubled by that. And I do understand that a lot of this is based, I mean, and this is the thing, it's based upon um, Jane Hawking's observations and things like that. And she is not a theoretical <laughs> physicist. Um, and I think that they were were trying very hard to speak to the emotional story and maybe part of them felt like this stuff was really well known. Um yep. She does have a PhD in uh, in the Romance languages, but she's not a uh, a physicist, <laughs> right? Um, but even you know, even when they're sort of showing when he's talking to people about um, Hawking radiation, and um, you know, like there's, it's just very, it's like that's it's one little blip, you know, um, yeah, you know, it's it's really. Uh, it's an interesting way to go given what a figurehead he is in this community um, that you're not going to go into it too much. But, you know, I, I think that they made those choices in this film. Um, well, well, given the, the limitations that Stephen Hawking has in his ability to communicate, it is uh, it's quite striking that he is able to captivate so many such large audiences with his um, his theories, his ideas, and his discoveries. Well, he writes uh, beautifully. I he mean, writes beautifully. And it, that's the only word for it. I mean, it really is. He is he is able to lay out his theories in a very elegant way. Um, and that didn't get communicated in the film. Um, the film is, as you were saying, it's it it is based on. Um, on Jane Hawking's story, and it's it, it, it's much more about their relationship. Now, that being said, this whole film, I I think if you if if this film works for you, it is solely based on the performances of the two leads. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and I will tell you, like uh, this, the the performance by the two leads were incredible. They yeah, were. so Eddie, um, Eddie Redmayne, Redmayne, and uh, Felicity Jones. Who uh, Felicity ha- uh, Jones had been in one episode of uh, Doctor Who, I believe. Um, and Eddie Redmayne, the only thing I'd seen him in before was uh, Les Misérables, blah blah blah, mm-hmm. blah, which I did not like that film. Although he was he was okay in it. Um, he was not like a certain other individual who will appear in our crossover chamber today. Um, but there, you're right, Conrad. Uh, the the chemistry between these characters or characters. I'm saying this is what's so weird to me about reviewing stuff that involves real people. Is it's it's weird because it's a film, but I know we're t- we're dealing with real lives here, and this is why it's so hard to talk about things like the serial podcast, um, which is so so popular right now it's we're, we're talking about real people and real mm. lives here which mm, I, I think for me it sometimes makes it difficult uh difficult to get into that right. but um talking about these two individuals um the actors behind them uh Redmayne and and jones uh the chemistry between them is is amazing and as we get into um, the time in um, Stephen Hawking's life when he is slowly beginning to lose the ability to um, to move his muscles and to control his uh, different aspects of his nervous system. Um, when he is getting that uh, neuronal breakdown, um, they are – they. I, there was never a moment where I really 
doubted it. There mm-hmm. and there there are moments where it looked it felt like I was looking at Stephen Hawking, not an actor playing Stephen Hawking. Right. And I mean Eddie Redmayne um he was giving some interviews about this and was talking a little bit about the filming of this. And this was, you know, like most films, the scenes were not filmed consecutively along the timeline. So especially the the scenes that had to do with uh, Stephen Hawking's breakdown. And as you see um, the disease and the disorder take over, um, he had to remember at what point he was at mm. and be reminded like, OK, this is at this point um, so that he would get the physical movements um, get them right and he was phenomenal in this um and then felicity jones i think did an amazing job um just the chemistry between them as you mentioned was great but it's also she uh, i think she's an incredible actress i had only seen her in a few things um very like random british things um i remember her from this really terrible tv uk series called the worst witch which were some of my favorite books growing up um but she it's not just her interactions with Stephen Hawking but it's also um her face is an open book in this and some of the things that she is contending with um that a lot of caretakers have to contend with um were just plain on her face and you know she just um not not just sort of the the way of that she would have to deal with certain things going on and and challenges, but also how much love she felt for him. Mm -hmm. And so she was doing all of this, all of these things like, you know, moving him around and physically this was like huge to do, to have to do because it's, it's a lot to carry a person who's almost totally dead weight. Um, and she was, she was showing all of this, um, and very convincingly. So I thought that their interactions together throughout this film were, were amazing. Apparently, Stephen Hawking himself was a fan of Eddie Redmayne's performance. He wrote on his Facebook, um, I thought Eddie Redmayne portrayed me very well in the Theory of Everything movie. He spent time with ALS sufferers so he could be authentic. At, t- at times, I thought he was me. Huh. So that's... Uh, well, that's uh, a pretty good... It's a, quite um, a big endorsement. And that, that right there is... Um, not Stephen Hawking's Facebook post, but what you were just saying before I mentioned his Facebook post that the relationship and and the impact of having to um, to be in a relationship when someone does have uh, limited limited mobility that is what I liked about this film. Um, there is a lot that the film misses out on in terms of Stephen Hawking's ability to communicate complex scientific mm-hmm. ideas um, in a way in which the masses are, are understand and are fascinated by it. That's gone. There's also details of their lives which are simplified um, or glossed over a lot of the more um, raw mm-hmm. details from um, um, Jane Hawking's first memoir aren't in there. But all of that being said, it, this was a film that I think really does shine the spotlight on what it's like to be a caregiver in some role, to take care of someone else who has some type of limitations and uh, how that can impact a relationship. And that's a story that doesn't really get told much. And people tend not to think about 
people who are in in these roles. Um, and I thought that was that was an interesting contribution to this um, to film. I liked that. Yeah, I liked that a lot too. Um, I did, and I think they showed especially the relationship between Stephen and Jane. Um, and how their relationship eventually deteriorates because she really has just, I don't want to say she's just become the caregiver, but their mm-hmm. relationship because of the burdens of taking care of him and the logistics of taking care of him and also having three children, that all kind of falls apart. And he is looking for affection elsewhere and finds it in the woman that um, was caring for him, um, who is his second wife, who becomes his second wife, uh, Elaine Mason. Um, and I think that we don't, we don't see the, the sort of, and, and as you said, they did cut a lot of some of the more raw and harder, harder to digest details from this, um, from her original um, yeah, she which, originally called him a puppeteer and an emperor, and uh, on and on. And that book, that view was much more harsh. This was a, this was definitely a bit sugar coated, in my view. Yeah. Um, yeah. But well, it was sentimental. It's a sentimental. Lot of it's sentimental. Yeah. Um, you know, but it, it does show like how those how that communication can break down, and but also the really hard decisions that caretakers have to make all the time. Yeah, I mean. It, at one point, and I and it's weird. I do remember when this happened, but Stephen Hawking uh, contracted pneumonia and had to be put on a ventilator, and and Jane had to make a decision about whether or not to let him go or to have them do a tracheotomy, which would take away all of his communication. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to imagine somebody who already does has has these physical limitations and now can't talk, and he's a theoretical physicist. Um, that, and we didn't, you know, his, his ability to communicate basically happened later on and in some part due to Elaine Mason, um, because it was her husband at the time that actually came up with that, um, interface for him, um, who he had been working on it obviously separately, but Stephen Hawking was one of the first people to have that. Um, so you know, is there is there resentment on his side for those decisions that she had to make? Is she that's like a huge burden for people to have to go through that. Um, so it's I think that it shows some of those things very well, but I feel like it only skimmed the surface on a lot of things. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting is that they and I wondered if this was something um, I had heard that um, that Jane Hawking um, did not want any any sex scenes in this film, and so she had a lot of control over what happened within this film. And did you notice that there wasn't a lot of of interaction with the kids? No, there wasn't. I mean, wasn't. I mean, they're kind of yeah. there, um, they exist. but you don't really find out much about them. There's not. You see them sitting in his lap or like clowning around with him a little bit, but there's just really no treatment of them at all. And I wondered if that was a deliberate decision to basically keep them out of the spotlight and just make it about the two adults. And maybe it was a privacy issue. I don't know, but it, it was noticeable, noticeable to me that they were very, very thin characters in this. If they were just kind of like, they were kind of there in the shadows, but really you don't see a ton of them. 
This is what makes biopics. This is what makes them hard for me to kind of review and talk about is there are um, editorial decisions like that made or or like, you know, we will not have any sex scenes. These kind of decisions are made that other writers um, might not take if they were just creating a completely fictional story. Mm. And um, especially when you're doing a film about a living person. So you compare this with uh, Lincoln that came out a few years ago. And you can tell very different stories here um, since we are so far removed from that era. And you can really explore in different ways now. Steven Spielberg also did some sentimental stuff with Lincoln, but we're not reviewing that here. So it, it made me, it made it tough for me to, to kind of review this, and also it'll probably be tough in our crossover. And I had a hard time ranking my top fives too for a similar way, uh, for a similar reason. I mean, um, because I do think that um, sometimes out of out of privacy and for good reason, mm-hmm. um, different elements aren't integrated into the story. But yeah, I, I found myself feeling like much of their relationship was very sentimental. Just even in the way it was shot, it. Um, it just felt very good and bubbly, and um, I, I think the film does work because we do – the acting is, is superb. Um, that being said, it left a lot um, – it, it left me with, with questions, and I was still wanting more. And, um, you know, I, re- I usually am, feel the, about the same way as I do um, with films as uh, AV Club does. Mm-hmm. And in their review of this, they they tore it apart. They tore apart the theory of everything, um, calling it a messy muddle, equally overstuffed and underrealized, a collection of generically flat two shots spiced up with the occasional useless flourish like the slow dolly in on Hawking's bony back as he sits in a clawfoot tub. And it goes on and on and on, Conrad. They really hated it. And I, I think it um, I think it really if whether or not you're gonna like this film comes down to whether or not um, you like the portrayals of of the leads. And if you don't and or, or if you don't think that's if you aren't pulled into that, the rest of the film I think falls apart because there's not that much there. Yeah, I hear you on that. I, I mean, I enjoyed it because, you know, I think Stephen Hawking is an interesting character. But I also agree that uh, I think it's very hard to do a film like this when everybody's still alive, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's just very hard. People have, um, and understandably so, it's, it's like airing their dirty laundry. So... Um, you're not going to want some of those pieces out there, which I get. But I also, I, I think it makes for less interesting films. And had it not been for the two leads in this, I probably would have hated this film. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? So honestly, <laughs> I think true. I think they were the saving grace. I think that it's an interesting introduction. And if it gets you to, to read, um, you know, any of, of Stephen Hawking's articles or work, um, you know, I, I think that that's, um, you know, I think that that's, that's worth thing. it. But, um, but yeah, I definitely, I, I definitely had some, some issues, but I enjoyed watching it. Um, and yeah, just, I so, too. and just the performances, I was just really just incredibly impressed by, by Eddie Redmayne. 
So yeah, that's that's why I'm glad this film exists, um, especially, especially pointing towards um, and revealing this aspect of the human experience that isn't explored much in film. Um, it reminded me of the sessions. Um, I don't know if you've seen that film, but that was a film um, that came out a couple of years ago that explores um, um, sexuality for an individual who has also yeah. some limited mobility. Um, I think that film explored some um some of these other aspects of human experience in a really interesting way um and uh, i think when the theory of everything works that's what it's doing it's exploring what is it like to be in a relationship um where there are there is so much love and there are some physical limitations um so that was great um but I think you're right. Yeah, it, it, this movie would have been horrible with uh, with lesser actors, and uh, and these are stellar actors doing a wonderful job. And that just that makes me think of the uh, Steve Jobs film starring Ashton Kutcher. Uh, I'm having a hard time tonight. It's Connor. okay. It's okay. Um, with Ashton Kutcher, uh, which was a horrible film, and <laughs> Ashton <laughs> could not pull that one. So bravo to our leads here. Um, yeah, do you have much more you wanted to say about this one before not, we move on? Not really. I think we move into to the crossover chamber. I mean, I guess the only the last thing I will say is that it's you know, I know Stephen Hawking is quite famous, but it's rare that you that people with disabilities get such a star role, you know. Yeah, um, that's true. That is absolutely and true. I would like to see more of that um and not just disabilities, but just different people and people dealing with different challenges. We just don't see a lot of that. We don't see enough of it. And so for that, I am glad that this is here. Um, I just wish they had gone a little bit deeper into it. That's all. Yeah, yeah. I, I compl- I'm really glad you said that because I think that that is what these films can do. They can, they can for two hours, they can give us a window into a different person's life. Mm-hmm. And what I like about these biographical films is when they – when they give me an opportunity to see how other people think and live um, and function and are impacted by the world who are, who are very different than me, different ideas, different um, upbringings, uh, different parts of the world, different abilities, all of that stuff is really fascinating and interesting. And um, we need more stories that explore the diversity of human experience, not less. Agreed. Agreed. Cool. Well, I mean, speaking of uh, diverse human experiences, um, let's enter the infinite crossover chamber. So, so today in the chamber, we are uh, we are going to pit the theory of everything against uh, a beautiful mind, and the question is. Um, which which film is a better exploration of the support systems surrounding the main subjects? So in Theory of Everything, it's Stephen Hawking. And in A Beautiful Mind, it is uh, John Nash. John Nash. So, so before uh, Beautiful Mind, uh, 2001 uh, film that went on to win Best Picture. We rarely get to talk about Best Picture wins mm-hmm. on Super Fantastic Nerd Hour because most of the films we talk about are usually snubbed. Um, directed by Ron Howard. He also won Best Director for that. Uh, so this film was um, – it generated a lot of accolades. 
And it is about John Nash starring Russell Crowe, who can't sing. Um, but he, <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it, it's in a similar – in terms of the stories of John Nash and Stephen Hawking as they're laid out in film – versus reality. These are stories about individuals who have extraordinary intellectual abilities. John Nash, who is an economist who does um, uh, go on to win some uh, very prestigious awards for his roles in mathematics and economics. Um, And as he is at Princeton, um, people around him begin to understand that um, he's developing some psychiatric symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and we discover later on in the film through the perspective of John Nash that he is diagnosed with schizophrenia. And the story is really about his struggle to move on from there to continue to function as an economist um, despite his, uh, his illness. And um, really why we wanted to pair up these two films is they both do highlight the support structure around them, whether it is their partners or whether it is healthcare um, and doctors or extended family. So, and also, and also colleagues, I think. And friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, and people like, I don't count the support system just as the immediate family and things like that. I think you do have to, you talk about chosen families, as it were. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, so, uh, yes, both films make some omissions, and both films do take um, take some leaps with the uh, the accuracy of the stories of these individuals. There's a lot that's left out of John Nash's story. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> An awful lot, actually. There's a lot. It's really a very cleaned up version of the story. Um, I mean, the, the example that gets paired up or that gets mentioned a lot is um, he did have um, some other sexual experiences with men. Um, he doesn't identify as being homosexual, but he did have some experiences. Um, he had another. He had a child that's never mentioned. Um, their divorce is never mentioned. So all well, that they stuff get divorced is, and then they remarry and they never talk about that. that never, part. never. The movie um, ends with him sort of saying thank you for when he wins the Nobel Prize, and we're we leave thinking that they've been together the whole time, um, unless you actually, you know, read the book. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, but, you know, and I think that that is also the difficulty because a lot of those pieces that they chose to leave out, and I mean, there were a lot of characters in the film A Beautiful Mind that weren't even, there were a lot of fictional characters or blended characters or characters they just, and maybe those people just did not really feel comfortable being portrayed in that film or maybe it was a decision an artistic decision to basically streamline the story because it is a very complicated story. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's some of this is that that I think it's very hard to kind of cleave, <laughs> cleave off what you want and to make the, the narrative make sense. Um, but but in this case, I think the what both of these films do, it, they're, they primarily talk about the partners, the wives. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. In, in John Nash's case, Alicia Nash, and then in uh, Stephen Hawking's case, um, Jane Hawking, that is. Um, but it, it's, I think that, 
they do a good job in the Stephen Hawking story. Um, and apparently he does not ever and had not ever talked about any of his challenges, like physical or otherwise, with anybody, including Jane. So some of that is not, you know, that, that's not exactly like whitewashed. That's just how he was, I guess. Um, and you And you see that in sort of his interactions in this film with his friends, um, his family, um, with, with Jane, and then later on even with uh, his second wife, uh, or second wife-to-be in that case. Um, and I think that they show just, you know, they say a few times like how she needs help, um, but one of the things that they don't show is that, um, and this was something that Stephen Hawking and, and Jane had talked about quite a bit, and it was interesting to me that they took this out, um, was that when it got to the point where they actually needed professional help, like caretakers in the house, they would, um, they did show it like that the students, the student, um, the I think they were students working with him, took him to, um, to France, um, to, to Bordeaux to, to watch a, an opera. Um, and they don't really talk about that at all in the rest of the film. Like there were a lot of people that were helping out at the house later on when she wasn't able to really physically do a lot of that stuff anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, so there was a lot more of a support system than we even saw with that. Um, and in John Nash's case, I feel like they show, Hmm. I, I feel like they show mainly the Jennifer Connelly character who plays his wife. Yeah, and th that's where this is a pretty tough one to debate because we do know that um, – uh, well, and I'll get started here. I, I, I do like various elements of how they portrayed schizophrenia in this film. And um, a lot of people hear the word schizophrenia and they think like a uh, multiple personality or something mm. like that. That's not what it is at all. It, schizophrenia refers to a split between reality, uh, be, between understanding what's real and what's not. And I think the the way the film shows uh, hallucinations, delusions, that was relatively well done even though um, it's much more common just to have auditory hallucinations and we see more visual hallucinations mm -hmm. in this film I think overall the film does a nice job about it but why I think this becomes a hard comparison for us is um, many people with schizophrenia uh, do live more lonely lives that does sometimes happen um, and sometimes it happens as a result of the illness and sometimes it happens as a result of um, of other stressors that, that come up, difficulty being able to hold down jobs, things like that. Um, well, it's so, also, I mean, schizophrenia is actually a pretty wide description um, in terms of, you know, there, there's actually many different things that could be categorized as that. Um, well, and and our, our understanding of it is really, really bad. I, not bad, but it's like we just don't know as much. As, no, we really don't. And, um, and I think that this was, and in fact, that it, that did come, I mean, people felt like certain parts of this portrayal were, were very good and other parts were um, not. But one of the things that I think was um, was good about the way that they portrayed this um, is just, is honestly how, how, hard it is to treat this because every it's it's individualized yeah. you know like every single person 
that even like it's just different for every single person so and it well, was and, in, and just in sort of what they were able to do at this time and what exa- the treatments exactly were and it's sort say, of like yeah. and it's tough it's and it's very hard on families um and it's you know i i think that in that case they definitely they did portray that pretty well I I really like the the portrayal of how difficult it was to treat this before um, antipsychotic medication was invented. Uh, there was really not much we could do for people who had schizophrenia in terms of a, a medical treatment. And there's there's much 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 better medications now. But um, our understanding of what to do uh, with this illness was very limited, and it's a pretty um, it can really impair uh, individuals and impact families. So I, I think the the impact, maybe a better way to think about it is, um, you know, what film shows the, the impact on the support system better. Mm-hmm. And I think in that aspect, A Beautiful Mind does do a good job of showing um, how this can impact individual, an individual's ability to participate in school, participate in work, um, maintain a relationship, although that part is much more uh, rosy-eyed in A Beautiful Mind as it is in A Theory of Everything. Um, it, how it impacts an individual's ability to participate in um, in a medical treatment, especially at that time, in that era, um, that is portrayed well, I would say. The, the only thing that I, I think is problematic in A Beautiful Mind is how it is probably much more... Um, it, it's really... It, it portrays the relationship in a much more positive way than we know what was real in the book and what has been acknowledged by, uh, by the, the Nashes. All the parties involved, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I think both films, for artistic purposes, smoothed over some pieces. Um, I feel like A Beautiful Mind, if you're talking just about those aspects... I mean, they do show a few incidents with him, um, specifically the one where, um, you know, he scares he scares his wife um, and and like knocks his child to the ground. I don't know if you remember that part. Oh, that's um, the part I was that's thinking like about, the yeah. main part. Like they show things like that, um, and I and they do show certain aspects that are very hard in Stephen Hawking's life, um, but I feel like it's it's terrifying what they showed john nash going through here yeah yeah. um so it's i'm having i quite honestly it's it's a tough time i think both show the impact but i feel like beautiful mind may be showing a little bit more like how just how um how disruptive to relationships and to families and things like that and the only reason that john nash eventually became successful is because people were willing to give him a chance to bring him back into the community and to to basically make accommodation for him Um, and I think Stephen Hawking had that as well, but, um, you know, his initial diagnosis was that he was going to die in two years and, you know, his, his wife and his friends and his family, they all were along for the ride. And I think that they were all so thrilled that he was still around (laughs) that (laughs) it was, it was just a little bit of a different journey, even though that journey was very hard. So I, I mean, I have assigned A Beautiful Mind in um, my introductory psychology class um, to help people understand schizophrenia. It's a movie I've seen many times. Um, I I think even though 
I don't think Russell Crowe's performance is that memorable, as memorable as the performance um, of the leads in A Theory of Everything. I think it's a film that probably will hold up more, and I think it does. I don't know. When it comes to our question, I think it's more neutral. Mm, But if I had to pick a film, um, I would go with A Beautiful Mind, even though I think the performance of the leads is better in the theory of everything. So pretty much, Conrad, I'm all over the place. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to say it's a toss-up. I'm going to say it's pretty much a tie. Um, I think that they both show it, but I have problems with both films in in sugarcoating. But um, you know what, I don't have a problem with in both films is I like the score in both. Oh, um, the score is great in both of them. Yeah. Oh, the score in Theory of Everything was really beautiful. Yeah, it was it was very lush, um, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And uh, James Horner's score to Beautiful Mind, I've heard that many times. Um, all right. Well, listeners, let us know what you think. Help us uh, form some type of conclusion from this. And we'll close up the doors on the infinite crossover chamber. And on to our top five. Conrad, what's our top five for today? Um, our top five are top five biopics. You mean biopics? Biopics. <laughs> it's biography. It's going to be an, a biopic. Let's go with our top five films about real individuals, uh, biographical films. So uh, how did you go about developing your list? You know what? I This is tough because there's a lot that I, there's a lot to choose from here. So honestly, they are in no particular order. Um, but um, I really I was how I picked out or cherry picked my top five were the ones that really just stood out to me as being the films that I think about um, in live, like after I watch these films, I continue to think about this person um, and did like an amazing amount of research or, or if I didn't know a lot about them before seeing the film. Um, but they're the stories that inspired me to, to want to know more. Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a pretty good c- criteria. Um, I was thinking about um, uh, stories that do speak to aspects of human experience that, um, were either new to me or made me see um, the world or these individuals in a different light. Um, that's kind of what I was going for. That being said, like you, Conrad, my number one is in no way better than my number five. These are just uh, – this was a really difficult list to come up with and not for the usual reasons, just because I think I had a hard time kind of rating them because you, you look at it in terms of a film, you look at it in terms of the the story, be, the real-life story behind the individual, the accuracy between the two, um, the messages, all of that. It, it's a tough one to look at, but uh, we'll see how we did. Uh, do you want to kick us off with your number five? Sure. Uh, my number five is Amadeus. Oh, that was a good one. That was a contender uh, for me. Um, yeah, so why'd you pick Amadeus? Um, Amadeus I picked because... It, this is the story of Mozart. Uh, yes. Yep. Um, yes. Just in case um, people don't know. And it came out in 1984. Um, it, wa- it was uh, directed by uh, Milos Forman. Um and it was, you know, nineteen eighty four to me. I mean, this is something I watched um, when I was a kid, a tween, if you will. Um, and 
the the main gist of the story is that uh, Antonio Salieri is a composer and recognizes that uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart is, it, you know, a genius and way ahead of him, and things are just very easy for him in terms of uh, composing and. Um, it's basically no matter how hard he tries, Mozart always thwarts him. And, and to top that, he's somewhat of a buffoon and disgusting person and stuff like that. Um, and one of the reasons I like this film, aside from the fact that it is an amazingly beautiful film, and clearly the score, given who the subject matter is, is is incredible. Um, I, I thought that it was a very human look um, at somebody who is now, you know, who doesn't know who Mozart is, you know? Yeah. Um, he's he's a demigod, uh, or at least I think he is anyway. Um, but you never think about, or at least before I saw this film, and granted I was a kid again when I watched this, um, you never think about him as a person. Mm. Mm-hmm. or about like what really may have been like and who knows whether this portrayal was true or not but um i thought that it showed the frustration um of creativity um in the character of Salieri um he he wants so much to 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 be not to be the same but to be able to produce the same things as Mozart and so a lot of his human a lot of his tendencies are they're not good tendencies, but they're they're coming from a place that you feel a lot of sympathy for this character, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like, it, even though he's not, you're like, what is he doing? But you feel, you understand where he's coming from in this. And I think that it was a, just masterfully done. Highly recommend it if you have not seen it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, I just second that nomination. Also, uh, F. Murray Abraham plays Salieri, and I will yeah. point out that there is this, did you ever see the film Last Action Hero? Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> came out like the year after Terminator 2. Right, and so the kid in that film basically tells uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger character not to trust this character played by F. Murray Abraham because he's like, <laughs> he killed Mozart. <laughs> <laughs> and he always plays the bad guy, uh, so it just he always, make, always, it just always makes me laugh. So, <laughs> and he does a much better job in Amadeus than he does in Star Trek Insurrection. Yes, that's um, true. That movie's so bad. Um, so, my number five is not a film I can recommend to everyone because it's a tough one to watch. And listeners of this show will know that um, Alima too occasionally likes to watch films that really make me afraid to be alone um, because of the inhumanity that exists out there. And this is one of those films that does explore um, the aspects of of human nature that we potentially wish did not exist. Um, The Last King of Scotland. Um, This is a film that came out in uh, 2006 um, uh, starring Forrest Whitaker, who plays uh, the a Ugandan dictator um, Idi Amin. Uh, have, have you seen this film? No. Conrad? Yeah. Well, it's a powerhouse of a performance by Forrest Whitaker, and uh, the main character is played by played by James McAvoy, um, well before he was Professor X, um, and that character is a completely fictional story. 
James McAvoy's character. But it's uh, it's sort of a uh, MacGuffin that gets us to the Ugandan dictator, and uh, that's are pretty much realistic. And the film kind of portrays his human rights abuses and his ethical violations and corruption, and uh, these very uh, very horrible aspects of his uh, rule over Uganda. It's a there are many scenes that are brutally tough to watch. Uh, there's uh, tortures is is involved, and uh, lots of uh, inhumanity um, is is uh, is portrayed. The reason why I recommend it, though, is um, it does um, shed light on this aspect of humanity that does exist. And I think for that reason, it's a film that should be watched because we should not forget about these types of things when they happen. Um, more news needs to be placed and more awareness needs to be placed about um, these kind of things happening so we can hopefully try to do what we can to keep them from happening again. So number five. An amazing performance by Forrest Whitaker. It, it, it chilling performance by him. Hmm. I'm gonna have to watch it. Yeah, don't watch it alone. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, you want my number four? Sure. My number four is a different one. I this is one I can recommend to everyone. It's Milk. Mm. Um, that was in my honorable mention because we had talked about it before, but yes. We had talked about Did I put it on my... Uh... It may have been. I think you and I talked about it, and I'm not sure. Like I, I felt like it had popped up before, but that's why I moved it to honorable mention. But yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, so It's an amazing I, film. Yeah, it's a great film. I think it might have been on my list before now that I think about it. Oopsies. Um but this is a story of Harvey Milk, um, the first openly gay person to be elected to public office in California, um, played by Sean Penn. The reason why I put this film on my list um, is I grew up in in uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I did not know the story of Harvey Milk, and I did not really know the story of. Uh, of the gay rights movement in San Francisco and the role that Harvey Milk played in, in mobilizing the community over there, as well as the discrimination that was experienced there. Um, you just, had never heard of the Twinkie defense? No. No, there, there was so much of this story that just um, shocked me that this was not manda- a mandatory part of uh, the history uh, of, of the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I knew about the Moscone Center, about uh, Mayor George Moscone, who was um, who was murdered along with Harvey Milk. Um, I, I, I don't I don't think that's a spoiler, right? You can't no. spoil no. historical events. Not really. Not really. No. Um, so you know, I I knew about uh, Moscone. Um, I did not know about Harvey Milk, and I think that's that's just a shame. So. Please do uh, check out this film if you haven't seen it. A g- really great performance by Sean Penn and the story that needs to be told. All right. Um, my number four was Malcolm X. Oh, that's my number one. Ah, there you go. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I, I felt like um, it, this came out in 1992 and it was directed by Spike Lee and there was a yeah. lot going on. Um, at the time in terms of surrounding this film, like there was a lot of people in the community that were afraid, uh, how, how Spike Lee would portray Malcolm X. They were afraid that they were just, they were just going to show a certain piece of this, that they were going to, to basically sugarcoat a lot of it. Um, 
and not not really show the true story. Um, and I think that it is a ridiculously powerful film. Um, I, you know, he is portrayed, Malcolm X is played by uh, Denzel Washington. Yeah. Um, and it is an amazing cast. I mean, you have Angela Bassett in there. Um, it, like, it's... It's a very strong cast. It's a strong script. Um, it really is uh, very, very well done. Um, and it's it's also it's a hard film to watch, but it is yeah. it is you know it's showing a lot of the a lot of the discrimination that I think unfortunately we're still seeing. Um, and especially recently, and that was that was a lot on my mind when I put this on the list. That's why I think that's why it rose to number one for me, given the events um, that have happened the last few weeks, um, and especially here in New York last week, and then some of the the protests that broke out. It was uh, definitely on my mind as well. I, I think this is Spike Lee's best film. Um, I think it's a powerhouse of a performance by Denzel Washington, and you know I. I was young when I saw this film and I saw it with my whole family and it was one of those films that did generate a lot of discussion for me uh, in our family. And um, what what I remember taking away from this film is a whole idea of uh, social justice mm -hmm. and what that means and when when is it okay to stand up against power. Um, and that is a that's a complicated, controversial um, idea, and that means different things to different people and in different eras and in different places. So I think this film is one that will create and generate dialogue even to this day. And it's what more than twenty years, Conrad, has, has gone by since yeah, this yeah. film and was released. I mean, that's the thing is like there's there's racial profiling within it. There's um, I mean, I mean, definitely we we have come, we have made some steps, and that's that's true. Like, there's um, one of the one of the big things, one of the big stories in, in uh, Malcolm X's life was that um, he was he was caught robbing a place, but he was also dating a white woman, which you know was a huge deal at that time. And you know, I would hope that some of that would be different now and it is different because we have seen some change but mm -hmm. a lot of the a lot of the treatment you see um and and of of malcolm x basically dealing with the police and dealing just just generally um walking around in the world and seeing how people are treated um you can really i don't know it, it's you see a, a lot of parallels um, and it's, it's still, I think that it still holds up. Um, and unfortunately I think it still is telling some of the same stories. Yeah. Yeah. But well, you're, but you're right. It is a story of empowerment. And, and so I think on that point it is definitely a well, hopeful story. And, that, and I think one of the reasons why it's probably also number one on my list is uh, when we're talking about theory of everything and a beautiful mind, we were talking about some of the uh, some of the complexity of these individuals' lives were taken away from the films, and I think Malcolm X as a film suffers from that less. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I think Spike Spike Lee does mm-hmm. <laughs> does uh, maintain some of the complexity and some of the complex questions that come up um, given this individual's history. And uh, for that, uh, I think that's definitely a job well done on his part. Yeah, very well done. That's uh, that said, I think Denzel Washington was totally uh, robbed of an Oscar on this oh, on yeah. this thing. I, he Who lost was, to like he lost to like Al Pacino for Scent of a Woman. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like speaking of uh, Oscar snubs. This was this was it, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's one of the ones that history probably will uh, will get right, um, or history has gotten right. Um, all right, so your number four was Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. My number four was Milk. Uh, my number one was Mil- Malcolm X. Um, let's go on to number threes. Uh, what do you got, Conrad? Uh, my number three was Goodfellas. Oh, that was uh, that was in consideration for me. Um, yeah, I, you know, I forget that this is a uh, a true story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Goodfellas. It's aside from being an excellent film, um, it uh, it was one of those films came out in 1990, and it's it's still like a crazy film. Um, and it is um, based on the story of um, of. Henry Hill, um, and he was basically uh, like kind of a, a hit guy, but more of an errand boy for uh, the Lucchese crime family. Um, and he only died, I think, a few years ago. Um, and this basically shows his rising up through the ranks um, of the mafia in, in New York. And it's really um, amazing cast, Joe Pesci. Robert De Niro, uh, Ray Liotta. Um, and uh, it was directed by Martin uh, Scorsese. Um, it's it's a really long film, but it I feel like it captures this moment in time really, really well. Oh, and it's such a well-shot uh, film. I mean, if you're yeah. a fan of Scorsese's work, this is one of his best. He was also robbed mm-hmm. he <laughs> uh, was. for best direction of this film. Um, it, it's, it's a great one if you just like his kind of mob film stuff and, uh, and then to, to know that this is a true story adds so much more to it. Oh, and I've totally forgot one of the main people, Lorraine Bracco's in this, oh. um, and she is incredible. Um, and, uh, Paul Sorvino, like it's just filled with people that you're like, oh, I know that person, that person, that person, um really just a well done film it certainly holds up um i did want to find out a lot more about henry hill and then when you find things out um you know it's it's uh it's it's a little bit sad actually but um and he used to also like call into the howard stern show a lot (laughs) yeah so um but yeah that was uh my number three uh my number three pick um is walk the line Hmm. um and i i really like this film um so this film uh came out back in 2005 and this is the um biological or biographical film wow conrad i'm having a tough time tonight um starring uh johnny cash as well as his uh wife um uh, i'm blanking on her name conrad uh june carter of course 
Johnny Cash and June Carter, um, as portrayed by uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon. Uh, so one of the reasons why this film works is the music. Uh, so they had Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon uh, sing, and Joaquin Phoenix did uh, really an amazing job uh, channeling Johnny Cash and uh, did some fantastic versions of those classic songs. Um, but Johnny Cash's life is also one of those complicated ones. And I think this film does a nice job um, not shying away from the uh, the complexity of the relationship between Cash and Carter um, and the uh, you know ring of fire and uh, what that song means in terms of uh, their relationship um, between the two of them. Um, I, I think it it does a really nice job um, – and 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 the song "Walk the Line," of course, which is the the, the namesake of the film, uh, it, it does a nice job uh, showing us that complexity. Uh, got great portrayals uh, from these actors. Uh, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I liked it. I felt it was definitely a little, uh, you know, uh, some of the same some of the same issues we have with the the theory of everything um i liked it i think their singing was great but it didn't quite make it to my list so um even though i really really love johnny cash and maybe that's why <laughs> i don't uh. know <laughs> um but uh yeah um it's still i think it's a good film worth watching and i think joaquin phoenix is great in it i just there was something about it that felt a little too precious to me yeah no i, I get that um but what's your uh uh your number two my number two it's it's a film that i don't know that a lot of people have seen this is also one that i caution people it's it's a tough film to watch it's pretty dark um it's called an angel at my table i Um, have heard of this and it is about um a um janet frame who is a um New Zealand author and it's basically it's based on her um her autobiographies and it's a really well done film it was directed by Jane Campion and it is a very uh, for you Ali I think you might enjoy watching it um because she does have a lot of um emotional and some some mental um difficulties um and but it is tough to watch because of some of the treatments that they they use on her. So, um, and just sort of how she is treated um, and the isolation that she definitely feels. Um, it's beautifully shot and the the score is beautiful, but um, it is pretty dark. Wow. So, um, but it does show, I mean, the thing that struck me about this film is that it really does show... Um, her journey just through all of these things um, and the support or non-support that she gets. And I feel like that it, I feel like it's a pretty incredible portrayal um, of mental illness. And especially during the time that this is talking about um, just sort of what was out there and in terms of what the understanding was um, or non-understanding as it may be. Um, But I thought it's, definitely worth watching admittedly i have not seen this for some time so i'm not sure if it holds up but i was quite uh it left quite an impression on me when i saw it i'll have to check it out i'll add it to my queue excellent 
Mm-hmm. And so we know your number one. Yeah, we know my number one, Malcolm X. Uh, my number two is um, is the Aviator. Uh, you and, know, that's in my honorable mentions. Yeah, it's. I, I think it was. If I'm not a psychologist, it probably would be in my honorable mention. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Aviator is a film about Howard Hughes, and it's uh, Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese, man, Conrad, Martin Scorsese directing this film, um, starring Leonardo DiCaprio playing Howard Hughes. Now, the reason why um, this film made my list um, before, when I first started treating OCD, and that was um, when I was an undergrad, uh, that was the experience that really made me want to become a clinical psychologist. And I was just an undergrad volunteer. And I remember one of my supervisors telling me about the story of Howard Hughes and how um, OCD can impact anyone's life. And just take the uh, example of the brilliant uh, innovator, the aviator, Howard Hughes. And so this was a story that I was actually pretty familiar with um, well before Scorsese made the film. And when it came out, um, I really thought it was a pretty good uh, representation of what it's like to have an experience OCD. And that didn't really define this individual. Hmm. Um, it, you know, it didn't, uh, I should say, it, should, it didn't define the story of this individual. And that's something I liked about um, what Scorsese did and um, what John Logan did. And he was sort of on my negative list because John Logan had just done Star Trek Nemesis a few years <laughs> earlier and that film wasn't that great. I loved him in, I think he did Gladiator as well. So he did Gladiator, then Star Trek Nemesis, then he did Aviator. Um, but I, I, I thought that this film explored many different aspects of Howard Hughes' life and did that in an interesting way. Granted, I, I don't think it holds up as super well as I, as I wish it 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 would um but i think because of its uh validating portrayal of ocd uh, it's it's definitely in my top five all right uh well my number one um since since we went over your number one um already sorry for for doing that straight off the no bat. it's all good it's all good <laughs> um but my, my number one was edward um directed by I tim knew burton it. i knew it I knew this yeah, was you knew I had to throw something out there, but you know, <laughs> it, it, especially if you're talking about films that are portraying different lifestyles and different things like that. Um, for those people who have not seen this film, uh, and I realized that most of my films came out in like the '90s, uh, so so I don't know what that says. <laughs> um, but um, this is about. Um, like Ed Wood was like a director in the fifties and he made some really, really terrible, but (laughs) so bad that they were good, but so bad films. Um, most people, if you've seen this, they, they talk a lot about, uh, plan nine from outer space or, um, and you know, this cast that they got for this film, it's like, it's Johnny Depp playing Ed Wood. Um, Martin Landau, Sarah Jessica Parker, Patricia Arquette, uh, Lisa Marie, Bill Murray, like really amazing cast in this. Um, and what I really like about it is that they really feel kind of like an Adams family of filmmakers. Um, and they're, they're doing these like crazy things together. And, um, 
it's it's a very touching portrayal um and as in all the films that we were talking about there are artistic decisions that are made and even tim burton admitted that you know this film could have been a lot darker because uh, you know this this director and a lot of the people that were associated with him at the time they were treated very poorly um edward was a crossdresser um and there was like a lot of other things going on in his life um but you know he really believed in what he was doing and he got enough people around him to believe in what he was doing um that it it's it's actually a very i think that there's some really touching things about it um in in making this person's vision and dream come true uh even if it's a bit of an oddball vision <laughs> so um <laughs> Yeah, so maybe I'm um, I'm just always a sucker for the oddballs. I think that's no, probably I'm, I'm, that's I, probably what we're coming out the conclusion that I'm reaching here. So I I saw it. I thought about it. I was going to put it on my list, but then I thought, you know what? This is going to be on Conrad's list. I'll, I'll let Conrad uh, steal the sunshine uh, or steal the spotlight for this one. Um, no, I totally endorse that. Uh, it's a great film. It's uh, very. It's beautifully done. Well acted. And again, it's in. Um, an aspect of human experience that is not often portrayed, especially from that era in which um, this film uh, takes place. This story takes place. Great, great choice. Yeah, um, it's also it's a really well made film. So um, yeah, so definitely if you're beautifully into, shot. If you're into that kind of thing, it it's kind of a cool little little story. It's yeah. a little meta. It um, is totally meta, but but <laughs> it is it is fun. Uh, yeah. So I just I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, so Conrad, I've got just a few, uh, honorable mentions. Uh, Aaron Brockovich was, uh, didn't make my list because we talked about it on, uh, yeah, on that same other thing. episode. So it was on my honorable mention. Yeah. All the president's men also same reason. Um, uh, but a few that we haven't talked about, uh, Rudy, I don't know if I've talked about this one before. You have talked about it, I think. <laughs> Never mind then. Uh, it's my whenever I need to feel a little motivation, I pop it in. I think I think uh, that that's why you brought it up the last time. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Whoopsies. Um, uh, two I know I haven't talked about: American Splendor uh, and Jinnah. So American Splendor has been on a lot of people's list of top uh, five. Um, uh, top five biopic films um, or biopic biopic <laughs> I well let's just ignore what I just said so um, uh, American Splendor has been on a lot of people's lists um, I put it in honorable mention because I remember liking it but I don't remember it that much because when I saw it I was a little sleepy um, so I should check that out again the other film that I did put on this list is called uh, Jinnah. So this is a film a lot of people haven't seen. It was only released in 1998 in the UK as well as Pakistan. And this is a story of the founder of Pakistan, Muhammad Ali Jinnah. It's sort of the um, his story as well as Gandhi's story both go together, just like Martin Luther King's story goes along with Malcolm X's story. They're both the, the other side of the story of what was happening at the time. It starred Christopher Lee in what he considers to be one of the best um, roles of his career, but it just was never distributed widely. Um, it was never really distributed in, in, in the United States. Um, I saw it a few years back, and I actually thought it was a pretty decent film. So uh, check it out if you are at all interested in that region of the world. 
Yeah, I had just a couple of other honorable mentions, which, you know, I already mentioned a couple of them, but uh, Sid and Nancy, which is, it's hard to watch. It's a really well done film, but it's about Sid Vicious uh, and Nancy uh, Spongen. And Sid, uh, Sid Vicious was in the Sex Pistols. Um, and it's a tough movie to watch just because of the, their heroin addicts. Um, but it is, you cannot deny that it is well done. Uh, and Gary Oldman is the place it in that um, Ooh, uh, you know i love me some gary old yeah and he's really pretty incredible um and then my left foot i left on the honorable mentions just because i felt like we had talked about the theory of everything and i know it's a different disability but it's a it's you know that that kind of challenge it's an incredible film um but i i think it belongs there somewhere because it's really <laughs> amazing um which talks about the the uh, author Christy Brown, um, but I actually was going to mention to you a new biopic coming out, um, which I am excited to see is the Imitation Game. Oh, same here, same um, here. Because I love, I love to see Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> in things, um, but you mean Doctor Strange? Yeah, um, <laughs> but more importantly, I am very excited to see anything about Alan Turing coming out. Um, I'm really excited to see this film. So um, so maybe we should talk about that at some point. Yeah, I think that would be a good one to, to take on. Uh, Benedict is just, uh, he's like uh, he's like Galactus. He's just- Yeah, he's uh, everywhere right now. He's everywhere. He's eating <laughs> yeah. up every single type of geeky role. Just our newly announced Doctor Strange. I mean, this guy has been in Star Trek, Hobbit, and now we'll be headlining a Marvel movie. I mean, <laughs> wow. And Sherlock. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, good stuff. I look forward to seeing that. Um, so, Conrad, that that was our take on all this stuff. Um, but, you know, I would love to get some listener feedback on what is what are some of your favorite biographical films. How- yeah, I just want to throw out there, I guess this was released over Thanksgiving weekend, which I was unaware of. The Imitation Game? Yeah, or, uh, the, the Imitation theory. Game. So we're really behind the ball here. Yeah, uh, but we should we should get on this one. We should jump on that one. Um, and uh, while we're doing that, listeners, let us know what you thought of Theory of Everything, uh, how it ranks against A Beautiful Mind, and what some of your favorite uh, biopics slash biopics are. Let us know who's right in pronunciation of that. Is it Ali or is it Ali? And, no, uh, it's absolutely <laughs> Conrad. And uh, Conrad, where can folks find you on the internet this week? On the interwebs, I am at Die Prince on Twitter and on the other the other reanimated podcast with my friend Stuart Tiffin, uh, reanimated pcast on Twitter and uh, reanimatedpodcast.com. So check us out if you like undead things. Very nice. And if you um, like living things about science fiction and psychology, um, or, you know, actually, I take that back. I wrote one article on and on dead things. 
Um, if you like the psychology of science fiction, I am at brainknowsbetter.com. Um, I also am on Twitter at alimatu, A-L-I-M-A-T-T-U is how that's spelled. And uh, we are at Nerd Hour on Twitter. We are also on uh, the internet at superfantasticnerdhour.com and info at superfantasticnerdhour.com. Conrad, it has been a pleasure as always. And until next time, live long and prosper. Indeed. <laughs>